you can stand again if you want. <laughs> Thank you so much, Christy. Uh, we're in the book of Exodus. Have you noticed all summer that it keeps addressing, I mean, the big issues of who God is and how he works in this world? And I'm just telling you, today, as we come to Exodus 13, 14, and 15, we come to another one of those big issues of walking with God. I'll, I'll try to explain it to you at the very beginning. Uh, I found that when we make that decision to follow Jesus, or sometimes when you and I come to church and make a recommitment to follow Jesus, we just know that when we have brought God back into our lives and we walk with him, life surely is going to be uh, better than it was when we were going without him, right? And so we go with these promises of God's presence and his sufficiency and his power, and we just know that we're going to uh, pray more and love people more and that broken relationships... They're going to be uh, reconciled in all of those places where we've given into temptation. We're going to have victory. We just know uh, that our lives are going to be better with God than they had been when we've been leaving him out of our lives. We, we know that. But then the longer we continue to live, we begin to learn that that journey, that path toward a different kind of life is not always as direct as we would like it to be. Am I, am I talking too vaguely here? Do you know what I'm getting at when I say that? It, it just doesn't seem to be as victorious immediately as we thought it would be. And um, that brings us to this text, because I'm telling you, the text we come to today is a classic case of this. Now, let's, let's come back again. The Israelites, God's people, were getting out of Egypt. The Passover in my last message has just taken place. And now they are going out and they must have thought everything we have been dreaming about is now going to happen and God is going to go with us because not only were they getting out of Egypt, but all the Egyptians were telling them, you get out and here, take bread here, take jewelry, whatever you need, just get out. No more of these plagues. It must have been unbelievable for them after all of these years of slavery and how hard hearted uh, the Pharaoh was. Now they're being begged to leave. They must have wanted to come together and sing, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we're free at last. Don't you think? But they weren't. Not completely free, not yet. In fact, when you read this story, if most of those Israelites had known what lay in front of them, they probably would not have left Egypt at all. Because that great promised land that was real and that God said they would come into was a long way away and many, many years away. Only the youngest of them who had experienced that Passover that one evening would be able to make it into the promised land. And I'll tell you, before, did you notice this Christy was reading? Before they'd gone even 50 miles they were whining and complaining about the problems that were already there. And so in this, my brothers and sisters, I've got to tell you, God's path to make us what he promises us we will be and what we are meant to be is seldom short and never easy. What an upbeat sermon this is going to be. God's path... To do all that he promises he's going to do in our lives is seldom short and never easy. 
And all of us who have walked with Jesus for any amount of time have had to come to grips with that. That in between that time that we made that commitment to Jesus, and on the other side when we're finally, as Colossians 1.28 says, we are complete in Christ, there are often long years of struggle and hardship and sometimes doubt. And the Bible is so realistic about that. When we have to take the time to read it, it tells us about that. So in one day the Israelites experience a great victory so that they know God is there. And they have a promise of what they will do. But then they had to spend years in a wilderness before getting to the promised land. The promised land is on the other side of a desert. That's what we begin to read about there. It's real. It's real. And God's going to get them there. But in between, there are temptations and difficulties and doubts. And I've just found in my many years of being a pastor that a lot of churchgoers have not, when they've entered into this thing, have not been made aware of that. And I want you to be aware of that. Because God wants us to know that He even uses those times through the wilderness to do His remaking in our lives. And I find that unless people know it, uh, that when the difficulties come, they begin to wonder if it's real. And the big temptation is, we want to go back to where we were. We want to go back to Egypt. And that's not what God made us for. He did not make us for slavery. So I'm telling you, in the text today, at the very outset of the journey across, God implants several messages to them. I can't go through them all because I don't have time, so you have to come back next week. So even if you've traveled for a long way to come, you've got to come back next week. But we're going to see some of the great lessons because I find in my own walk with the Lord uh, that these lessons that he gave to them are as relevant to me as they must have been to them, and I think they will be to you. So, okay, as we are walking through, we're still here on planet Earth, fallen planet Earth, even as we wait for a remade heaven and earth. What does God want us to know? And he starts right with where I think we always should start every time we come to church, with God saying, remember who I am. That's how this whole text has been in Exodus. Remember who I am. And this is what he declares in Exodus 13 and 14, that God is the Lord Two, that God is with us. And three, that he will keep his word. Will you grab hold of that? That the God we worship, the same God as they were following, is the Lord over all gods. He never leaves us alone. He is with you and me wherever we are. When the Kilmers go to Turkey, he will be there. And that God who is there, who is the Lord will keep his promises. I'll just try to show that to you quickly from the text. I'll start with that last one, that he will keep his word. I don't know if you ever noticed that obscure little text in chapter 13, verses 19 and 20, where they were told to carry Joseph's bones with them from Egypt to the promised land, and he'd lived centuries before. Does that strike you as being weird? Do you know what that's about? That, you know... Exodus is the second book of Moses, but there was a first book of Moses, and that's the book of Genesis. And in that first book of Moses, the patriarchs were there, and one of them was Joseph. And Joseph, when he had gone to Egypt, was told just before he died, you will have to die here, but my people aren't going to stay here. I promise you, here's my promise. You are, my people are going to get back to the promised land, and when they go, as a token to them that I keep my word, 
they're going to carry your bones back bones back there to the promised land. And in fact, Genesis chapter 50 ends with a, a reminder of that promise. There they were still in Egypt. But the reminder comes, but when they go, they're going to have those bones. And they're going to remember that was God's promise. And even though it had taken 400 years for this to actually happen, God keeps his word. See, as they were carrying that, this, this is the reminder. This is why I wanted to pray for the Kilmers. That God has, has called them He has a promise for them, but sometimes they're going to have to remember. Because in the midst of it, sometimes they're going to wonder, will this promise ever come true? As the people of Israel must have wondered there in uh, in slavery in Egypt. But God is declaring to them, I, the Lord your God, when I make a promise, I keep it. Look at those bones and you'll never forget it. Second thing I want you to see is down in verses 21 and 22 of Exodus uh, 13. And that is um, uh, this matter that God says, and as I'm fulfilling my promise, I'm never going to leave you alone in the midst of it. You don't have to walk through the wilderness by yourself. And he was going to make himself known by a pillar of cloud by day, always there, a pillar of, of fire at night, so that they would always know that God was there. You know, this is called a theophany. Because no one can see God the Father at any time, but God wants us always to know that he is with us. And a theophany is simply a visible way that God makes himself known as the invisible God. And he wanted them to know in a very specific way that even though it may be many years in the wilderness, this wasn't outside of his plan and his control. He was there. Brothers and sisters, I don't know about you. I've been following Jesus for 50, 50 plus years. And God always finds ways, especially when I gather here to worship with you, to let me know that he is there. And I pray that some of you are nodding, that God is present with us, who will keep his promises. And then that brings us back. Who is he then? And twice in this text, as he's done throughout the book of Exodus, and here in chapter 14, verse 4, and again in chapter 14, verses 17 and 18, God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make known my glory which means he's going to make known who he is. And I'm going to make known that I am who I am. I am the Lord. Everything you've been learning about me all of your lives, that I created the heavens and the earth, that I deal personally with people like calling your forefather Abraham, and that I even forgive sins. Because remember that rotter in your background named Jacob who was such a deceiver? I didn't give up on him. And that means as much as you grumble and complain, I am willing to forgive you because I am a gracious God. I am who I am. So as we start our lives, this is where whenever you come to church, I always want us to fix our eyes upon the God that we believe in. And to always know who he is. He is the Lord over everything. There is nothing we face that is greater than he is. That he is with us. And he will keep his promise. Conform us to the image of his son. There's the first lesson he wanted them to grab, and I want you to grab hold of it. Have you? Can I go to number two? Let's go. Number two. So when we live with that kind of a God, then when we face these difficulties, the way I put it is, an obstruction is not the same as a dead end. So we're on this journey, and God says, this is where I'm going to get you. And it seems like we're not getting there. I want you to know that when you walk with this God, an obstruction is not a dead end. Look at chapter 14, verse 10. All right. So they were leaving. 
They were wandering around there because God was sending them a different path. Pharaoh said, what on earth? I've lost all of my workers here. Let's go get them again. And they comes after them. As Pharaoh approached, in verse 10, the Israelites looked up. And there were the Egyptians. The way it's written is much better in Hebrew. They did not expect that at all. And look at their response, because it reminds me of us. So they, they were terrified and cried out to the Lord. And they said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, didn't we tell you, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? No, they'd never said that. <laughs> Do you find their unbelief so quickly? Do you find that unbelievable? I mean, they'd just seen ten magnificent, victorious miracles of God. But we find it very believable, don't we? Because this is the way we are. God does something one day, and then the next day we say, do it again or I'll forget. So we come to church here at Lake. I, I thought we might pray, Lord, I made a commitment to you in that Alpha class. And I thought you'd make things different. Instead, when I got back to my family and I tried to tell them about you, it's, it's even worse than it was before. I feel cornered, Lord. Or, Lord, I went up, Pastor Greg called us to come up after church, and I went up and prayed with those wonderful people, and they prayed, and I just knew things would be different. So I shared with my uh, girlfriend about my new faith, and instead of us coming together, she said, I don't want to go out with a religious nut. Lord, you have made things worse. Things are hard, and it's not just because they're hard, it's because I'm following you, they're even harder. Have you ever heard words like that spoken by anybody? You ever heard them come across your lips? That's what happened here. So maybe you've come to church today and you can relate to what these Israelites were feeling. There is something really hard going on in your life. And I'm telling you that that obstacle is not there by chance. It is not a dead end. And a couple of observations I just want you to grab hold of with regard to that. The first one is, God sees more than you and I see. He sees more than you and I see. Parents, we often have to tell our children that, don't we? I tried to find another way to say it. The other way I was going to put it was, you've got to know that the situation would be worse if we left God out and we just did it ourselves. Because we don't see, we think it's a better path we're going, but God sees more than we see. Because there were two, at least two routes out of Egypt. The most obvious, the shortest route, was to hug the Red Sea along the coast more to the south. Uh, a good friend, Jim Hoffmeyer, who's a professor, Egyptologist back at, uh, in Chicago, said if they had gone that way and there would have been no obstructions, they could have gotten to the Promised Land in less than a month. But God knew there were problems there. He saw more than they could have seen. So he sent them on another route between the desert and the, upper, the shallow upper reaches of the Red Sea. That's where he sent them. Now what I find encouraging is the reason why God gives that he sent them there. And it's in verse 17. He said, I'm going to send them this other way because if they face war, they may change their minds and go back to Egypt. Now in this, you're with me, right? In this, there is such a great truth that God knows your limitations and he knows my limitations. And when he guides us, his guidance takes who we are into consideration. You see that? God knows us 
Sometimes we're out of touch with who we are. Sometimes we think too little of ourselves and we give up so quickly I can't do it when, when we, God has given us a lot more capability. Sometimes we think too much of ourselves and think we can just go it in our own strategy and strength. I'm going to give you a, a verse that followers of Jesus have held on to for a long time. Psalm 103 verse 14. Here's what it says. God knows how we are formed and he remembers we are dust. He knows us. And so as he works in our lives and he guides us, his guidance takes that into consideration. And for me, at least one thing that that means is he knows how much strain my faith can take. He knew that if they had gone the other route, he knew that they had so little faith that they would have just turned away and never have gone to the life that they should have had. He knows how much strain we can handle and his guidance, even though sometimes that guidance seems to be taking us into difficult places. If we'd gone on our own, it would have been much harder and much worse. In in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, the Apostle Paul took the same text I'm preaching from and he applied it to his people. So I want to apply it to you in the very same way. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, this is what he said. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tested beyond your strength. But with the temptation, God will provide a way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. Can you hold on to that? Who is God? He is faithful. He will be who he is. He promises he will not let you and me be tested beyond our strength. But when the test, when the temptation comes, God will provide a way of escape so that we can endure it. Just think about that for a moment. So right now, if it seems your life's taking a detour. Boy, the Kilmers. Christy, that was a great testimony. Thinking you were going this place. Nope, you're going to go that way. That makes no sense, Lord. What if, it, what if that's happening? I just want you to know God doesn't lead us up blind alleys. That if there's a diversion in our lives, there's a purpose to it. God has carefully assessed who we are. He knows where he's going to take us. And his leading is taking that into consideration. One thing he will not let us do. He won't let us go back to Egypt. We want to go back and live the way we used to, thinking that's better. We know it's not. Do you think slavery was really better? (laughs) But sometimes the temptation, he will not let us go back to Egypt. That he won't do. So we have to face it. There's so many ways you and I could go in our own lives that seem better. But God sees more than you and I see. So for God an obstacle is not a dead end and we can trust him and walk with him and see what he's going to do. And the other observation about this obstacle not a dead end is you and I have to learn to trust that with God there's no situation that's hopeless. No situation that's Their situation seemed hopeless, right? And Pharaoh thought it was hopeless. Read the story and you'll see it. He saw them wandering on this strange route over there. He said, they don't know what they're doing. We need them back here to get the work done. So he went after them. And from a military point of view, they had no hope except suicide. But mark this down. The God of the Bible, the God we believe in, delights in turning situations of our hopelessness into his greatest victories. He makes known who he is by rescuing us at the most challenging times. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I even think he crafts my life 
so, so that I get into a situation where I can't think my way out of it. And at the end of the day, I just have to look back and say, he did it. Have you ever had that happen? Sometimes we have to remember that. So here they are. They're facing what seemed to be an absolute impossible obstacle. And Pharaoh had everything going for him. I mean, he had all the military might. He, had every, he knew the area. He knew everything. He had everything going for him except one thing. He didn't have God. So really had nothing going, going for him. And we, he'd already been seeing this, and the Israelites had been seeing this. And so the moment a difficulty comes up, did you notice that as Christy was reading? I think it's there in verse 12. Leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been, they only saw two options. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. I mean, they'd seen all these miracles, and those were the only two options they could see. Go back to slavery or die in the desert. Um... Do you remember that animated movie from a number of years ago called Chicken Run? The group of chickens, they're trapped there and they're going to be made into chicken pies and they find out about it, so they're going to have to get out of there. And so there's a, there's a one leader chicken hen named Ginger and she's trying to motivate them all and, and she yells out, uh, we'll either die free chickens or we'll die trying. And another chicken named Babs replies, are those our only choices? <laughs> I, I really like that. You can tell. I like that. Movie. Well, that's, that's, they only saw two choices here. Either they had to go back to slavery, which God wouldn't let them do, or they're going to die in the desert, which they told them they wouldn't do. And this is where I was talking with the pastors about this the other day. And Jesse Oaks, a wonderful high school pastor, began talking about something that he called God's third way that we often can't see. God's miraculous, gracious third way. We're praying about it. This will never work out in my family, my folks, with my kids. God says, keep obeying me and trust me, and there's another way. And then Jesse went on to talk about this game show. Some of you know it. Let's Make a Deal, uh, where you, you'll have maybe two packages, prize packages out there, neither one of them very good. And then Wayne Brady will say, will you give all that up for what's behind that curtain? And essentially what God says is, all those things you have, will you give it all up for what I have in store for you, even if you don't see where I'm taking you? And when we say yes and we follow him, we will see that there is never hopelessness. Because God is the God who turned David the shepherd into David the king. Who could have imagined? God is the God who took that wall of Jericho and turned it into rubble because a few little trumpets were being played and people were marching around it. And amazingly, God is the God who turned a cross into a throne. The very symbol of our rescue. So I just want you to know, we grab hold of this. God is who he is. He is the Lord. He's with us. He will keep his promises so that when you and I walk with God, an obstacle's never a dead end. And just one last word. What God asks of us, third lesson, is faith in him. But you need to know that biblical faith is not just sitting there. It demands actions as well as words. Look at uh, verse 12 again, chapter 14. Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better to, to have gone back and be slaves and to die. 
And look at what Moses said to the people. Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Now, there are two ways that I respond to that sermon. One, it makes me smile, and the other one makes me weep. Uh, The smile part is, this is that old Moses who had just said he can't speak, making quite a sermon. Do you see that? (laughs) This is powerful stuff, Um, except it's not true stuff. That's the problem. It's a bad sermon. Because in verse 15, God wasn't happy with that sermon. The Lord said to Moses, why why are you crying out to me? You already know what to do. Tell the Israelites not to stand still. Tell them not to just stand there. Tell them to move forward. Now, I find that the most common misconception of biblical faith is that people think that faith is something passive. The very definition of it is just kind of sit there and let God sort of zap you and do whatever he wants to do. When it comes sometimes to fighting sin, we think that it's passive, that somehow there's a spiritual zap, that we have no part in that to play. And especially when it comes to obstacles, what do we think? It's kind of like a Star Trek, uh, beam me over to the other side, God. You see, especially when we face obstacles. And so, do, so that I hear, so you're out of a job. Just look to the Lord, brother. Don't turn in those job applications. So you're ill. Ah, just don't go running to a doctor. Though God made everything that's in medicine and all the knowledge that they have is his too. And students. So you're worried about your exams. Just pray about them. Don't spend all that time studying. That's what's happening here. The Red Sea is in front, the enemy behind. And what advice does Moses provide? Stand firm. You only have to stand still. Sit back and just pray about it. Watch what's going to happen. And God says, why are you crying out to me? You know what you're supposed to do. Get them to march forward in obedience to what I have said. Are are you surprised by that advice? I'm guessing that some might be because we have this weird understanding of what biblical faith is all about. Faith is never likened in the Bible to just sitting down. The image much more often is a marathon. We trust God and we go forward in obedience in trusting everything to him, but it's active. Victory over sin doesn't happen passively either. We stay away from places of temptation. We work out our salvation, bring it to completion. And when there are obstacles, don't think you just sit down and they're going to evaporate. God gives us a responsibility, a role to play, and that really makes life exciting. Life would be boring if he didn't. And so whenever we face an obstacle and we don't quite know what to do, we always know some things he would have us to do. Spend time in prayer. Go and witness to a friend. Show the love of Christ to people that he brings across your path. Do what you know God would have you to do in obedience. And as you and I are moving, you'll find that God shoves us in this way or that. Because biblical faith is not just standing still and watching God act. Faith is always hearing God saying, you're mine, I am yours. Go forward in obedience with the expectation that God is going to act. Trusting and trying are not opposites in the Bible. We we step out. Faith without acting upon that faith is dead. Book of James says, 
We, we somehow separated belief from action. But the Bible never does that. What we truly believe leads us to take a step forward. So we see it throughout the Bible. Uh, a paralytic who's never reached out his hand. Do you remember what Jesus said? Reach out your hand. I can't do that. Reach out your hand. It's healed. Abraham could never have made it if he had just stayed in, in the land where he was. He had to take a trip out, not knowing where God would lead him. Uh, the Israelites had to, had to move around the walls of Jericho for them to go down. And in this case, Moses would stretch out that rod and then the seas would part. And the people needed to be marching forward so that they could go across on dry land. That's how God always works. I'm going to stop there today. So you have to come back next week. But you've got to remember these things. God is the Lord. And whatever you face this week, he is with you. And he will keep his promises. So that when, I was going to say if you face, when you face obstacles, they're not dead ends. God knows what he's doing. He sees more than you and I see. There's never hopelessness when God is there. And our response is to obey him, to obey him, even as we see how he is going to get us across that Red Sea. Just about a year ago, I brought you an illustration. I'd been at a Wheaton College board meeting, and the Billy Graham Center board there is headed up by a man named Lon Allison. Any of you remember he had made a trip up Mount Kilimanjaro? Lon had always wanted to go up Mount Kilimanjaro. I think I have a picture of it here. It's, it's, it's daunting. I think we have a second picture. It's also just beautiful. I mean, climbing that thing is hard. He'd always wanted to go. He'd heard it was grueling and hard. So uh, he was there. And it's funny. He said, uh, the, the guide said, okay, let's go to, to, to sleep, and we'll tell you what we're going to do later. And in the middle of the night, the darkest part of the night, the guide was there waking them up. This made absolutely no sense to Lon. And he asked them, why um, are you doing this? And he wouldn't answer him at all. And so, but he went. Lon and the others went. They'd never get up there if they didn't go. And so they got up. And, and he said it was even harder than everybody said it would be hard. And Lon is fit. If you ever see, he is fit. So if it was hard for him, it's hard for many people. But after this hard, grueling trek up Mount Kilimanjaro, they finally made it up to the very top. And he said it was hard, but it was worth it. It, it was worth it. But he still was frustrated at that guide. Why couldn't we have gotten up in, early in the morning when it was light instead of doing this? And this is what the guide said to him. We have learned that if people can see the challenges and dangers ahead of them, they will not go. But after they arrive, they are thrilled that they did. So we go through the night and ask you to trust us to bring you safely to that desired destination. And that's what God says to us. He'll get us up, take us through the difficulties, but he will be there and he will bring us home because he is the Lord. He is always with us and he will always keep his promises. To his glory, amen, amen.
I'd like to have our musicians to come. We have a great song we're going to sing in response to this, but let me lead us in prayer as we do. Father, we bow before you.